The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We're your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. All right, so today we're doing listener questions, and I am extremely excited because these have been on my to-do list for a long-ass time. Yeah, really, usually I like to, or I try to listen to podcasts. At the end of the podcast, they'll do like two or three little questions, you know, like quick-fire questions, but we have so many of them, and they require <laughs> a little bit of in-depth conversation that we're going to take some of your questions and make a full episode out of it today. So that's what this is. But hopefully you guys will find it interesting. They're ones that I got beef with. So much beef. So much beef. If I'm... you are a vegan, you could not have... No, I shouldn't actually say that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have beef. You got to have... No. Uh, uh, what's that? Uh, Tofu. Meat. No, this is one of those meat, the Beyond stuff. I'm oh, yeah. heavily allergic to Beyond oh, meat. Oh, no, really? I'm dumbass oh. allergic to it. <laughs> All right, so first question we are going to deal with, which I'm going to ask Dante because he apparently has some beef with it. Because I'm a is, Titan and I can't read. Because you're a Titan, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a question from, and by the way, all these uh, like folks that we're like, mentioning, the, I'm reading out their Instagram handles. So this is a question from artslinger111, and uh, they, they just put down peepholes. So I'm slowly learning that peepholes have much more functionality than just looking inside of your kiln. First of all, it doesn't help to look inside your kiln when the fire's on, because it's not like you could do anything about it once it's at 1500 degrees. And also if you look at it long enough, it's bad for your eyesight. Yeah, and it's not like you can actually see your pots in that. Like you can't see the glaze matrix on the pots when it's glowing hot red, like Darth Vader's hot breath on you. <laughs> and like in the people, there's nothing you could do about it. So it doesn't really help. What I'm finding as far as functionality goes for peepholes is that whenever I do a bisque load, I leave the top one out and that allows a lot more air circulation and allows some of the uh, some of the impurities to come out of the kiln a little bit more. But whenever I do a glaze load, I plug them all up, mm. right? Um, that's just what I'm finding. Also, whenever I have a cool down cycle or whenever my cycle's done and it's actively like going down in temperature, it's ramping down for like a better term, mm -hmm. I'll pull the top one out and the bottom one out so that air can circulate hot and cold through both of them. I don't do this when it's done firing right after. I do it when it reaches like 900 degrees. Yeah, yeah. And that being said, if you're using a gas kiln and you're, and you're doing it all manually, yes. looking into the peepholes allows you to see, okay, what are my cones doing? The cones being the basically blocks of ceramic material that are designed to melt at a specific temperature. And they're used to get a sense of how, how hot your kiln is and whether or not you need to, you know, how you need to change the temperature. So peepholes in terms of looking into them are useful in a gas firing. Yes. But if you're doing a pre-programmed electric firing, which is like what most of us have in our, in our studios, right. then they, they don't really do do that much but there is also a strange and i understand this is like a, a, a solidified thing in the clay world there's a strange amount of people out there who use this like steam trick where what they'll do oh yeah you, you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah they'll get a mirror and they'll put it next to the top peephole because heat rises along with the steam if there's steam on the mirror they yeah. know there's still water in the kiln burning yeah. off and they'll go cool i can't put it to a higher temperature yet because mm -hmm. then i've never done such a thing <laughs> I usually just prop my kiln up and I candle all my all my loads for like an hour or two. Mm -hmm. I'm just better safe than sorry. Like I would much rather just candle my stuff. I usually do it at like 200. It's not, yeah. I don't think I go 212. Yeah. Just in case our listeners don't know, candling is basically when you preheat the kiln to allow uh, any, you know, extra moisture to evaporate and burn off. Yeah. You like, um, light the candle. And yeah, like, exactly. It makes wax. <laughs> and then you go to your significant other and you're like, want to try something weird? Hey. <laughs> 
But yes, so some people candle kiln lid all the way open. Some people use it, you know, or have it like just slightly cracked a couple yeah. inches. But I think the, the kilns also, I know the scut kilns, when you have it set to do like a preheat, yes. it'll keep your work at around 180 degrees. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do that same thing. It's like if my work is completely, completely bone dry, like it's been sitting out for a while, then I'll only candle it for like an hour. Yes. But if things are still like in the most, mostly bone dry, yeah. but you know, maybe there's still a little bit of moisture in there, then I'll, I'll let it candle for like a couple hours. Yeah. One other thing too is leaving a peephole open, especially during the bisque firing, any organic materials are burning off. Yeah. It gives them an escape hatch. So yes, yes some people use it to for the mirror technique, but it is also, it serves that other function of like, Letting any gas or like smoke from organic materials yeah. burning off, it gives them a way out of the kiln. Well, I, I, I think my only qualm with that is that I never understood the mirror trick. If in my brain, heat heats up water and water turns to vapor and the heat and the vapor or the steam rather rises, <clears throat> I'm not opening my top peephole to let that out because the top peephole stops right below the lid. I'm just going to open the lid a tiny bit. So that way the steam has a better channel to get out of. So if I were to do the vapor mirror trick, I would not do it at the top peephole. I would crack my kiln open and like a tiny, tiny bit, and then I would just do it there. Mm. Also, when I candle my stuff, I just crack, I, I crack the kiln open just a tiny little bit. Yeah. But the peephole is like down here. Oh yeah, it's a couple, it's a few inches down. So I wouldn't, I don't know. I just, if heat rises, it's obviously gonna get to the top point of the chamber. So I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I yep. also leave the top peephole out whenever I do a bisque for kind of the same reason, mm -hmm. but I clearly have to close the kiln to keep the heat in, so. I leave like the third, not the very top one, but like the third one down open. Yeah. And then I just candle it for a couple hours. I leave with, the with bottom. The, with the lid completely closed. I leave the bottom and the top open because my brain goes, that's circulating top and bottom. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I alternate. So I do like, not at the very bottom, but I do one up from the bottom and then, and then. So you do like number one and number three? Yes, I do okay. number one and number three. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. I do yeah. number one and I forgot how many people there are, seven. I do one and seven. Yeah. And then the middle ones almost, ne I've almost never touched them unless I've like been real curious and yeah. you know, you get your little flashlight and you put it in the peephole nah. and then your phone's like, that's hot, I'm gonna break and then you pull back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough about how the heat circulates in the kiln to know like what is the best for that circulation, but yeah. maybe future me or future you will uh, acquire that information or Suma Cloud will tell us because she knows everything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Suma Cloud knows a lot, yeah. Okay, shall we move on to the uh, next question? Yeah, sure. So this one's about epic fails in pottery, and this uh, this is posed by Where Is My Remote on Instagram. Fantastic name, by the way. Love it. Um, because where is my remote? Where is my remote? It's always between the cushions. I like to, yeah, I, I like to blame people in the household until I get everybody on board. Yeah. If I was a politician, I'd be great. I would just blame other people for mundane problems. Uh until they fix the problem for me. There you go. <laughs> That's actually a horrible politician. That is actually. a horrible That's... politician. So what, what's some what's some epic, have you ever had like a huge, huge fail? Oh Lord, yes. I, I just had one. Yeah. Have, have you had a sculpture? I have, that's actually the, the first thing that I thought of when uh, when I saw that question was a, oh. um, a project that I was working on when I was, I had just graduated from high school and I was renting studio space at Panama Pottery right. between the end of my high school and, the going, and going to UC Santa Cruz. I worked on this statue for it was big? hours. It was, it was, I mean, not huge, it was probably like, 18 to 20 inches tall. It's like the size of a, a knee, like e from your foot to yes, your knee. Yes, yes. Okay. That maybe, maybe a little bit, maybe a teensy bit shorter. But anyway, I was building with, I think it was like 
811 buff. Yeah. And I was sculpting with it. Shout out 811. Oh, you're sculpting. Yeah. Well, it I was mean, a bad decision. You can use it for sculpting, but it's it's good as a throwing clay, too. Yes. If no, I was going to sculpt, I'd just get sculpting clay. Yes. I think if I had, I maybe would have had a better experience with what happened. I was making a figure that was kind of had like one hand touching a wall. And so there were only three points of contact. There were her two feet and there was her hand leaning up against the wall. Oh. Between the, using the wrong clay, not letting things dry properly enough, and not having enough support as everything was drying, I spent hours, like, the heels broke several times. Like, the I kept, I kept trying to, like, patch and reattach things together, and things kept breaking. And then eventually, it was, I was, like, so close. I thought I had fixed it. Everything was good. I, you know, I turned away to, you know, go start prepping the kiln or something. And I, I look back. And I see this whole thing topple over. Oh, you have to see it die. Break itself on the corner of the table and then shatter on the ground. And I was like, honestly, I kind of just like, I just looked at it and I was like, well, that's done. <laughs> and I never, I never remade it because I, I just, it was just done. Like this yeah, thing. I know. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. I throw a little fits sometimes whenever. So like even at work, like someone's like, I need this. And I'm like, I gave it to you already. And then they're like, no, you didn't. And it's it's proven that like I'm wrong in that situation. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm the incorrect one. I'll be like, I don't even like sausage no more. And I'll like, <laughs> stop. I'm not really mad, but I'll do that sometimes with art. We're like, so my one of my epic fails is recently on the YouTube channel. I had made two 21 inch plates that, oh, you remember those? Yeah. For the pit fire. Uh -huh. And I put them in the pit fire and I put them in the wrong way. Cause I was trying to fit everybody's work in the kiln. Although I probably could have done it if I didn't do that. But I also wanted, I put them vertically instead of horizontally and it was cold and it rained the night before and there was a lot of moisture in the clay bodies and there's a lot of moisture in the, in the uh, stuff that we did. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's stuff survived except for mine because I did a lot of bad decisions that ended up stacking. So like because the plates were vertical, it ended up being really hot at the bottom and then really cold at the top in some point in the firing mm. and it cracked directly down the middle. Oh, and it destroyed both of the plates and the plates had beautiful color on them. I know, I remember seeing them and being like, no. Yeah, that, that was a, and I recorded all of it. You know, sometimes I'm like, should I show them just broken product? But then again, I was like, these are really nice. Yeah. So I was basically like, I don't even like plates anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so now my, my enthusiasm for making large 20 something inch plates across is gone for like the next year. Mm. Plus, it's not like anyone's gonna buy them off my website. You know, they're huge. Yeah, they're gorgeous though. They I were mean, nice. Yeah. How would I deliver those? Uh, I don't know. I'd big old box. Big old box. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's probably the the most recent epic fail that I've had. Although I will say, there's also this this thing in, and I feel like you've probably experienced this as well. There's this thing where artists will make really nice work, like really like they're proud of work, and then keep it like in the corner of their studio forever because they're afraid to glaze it. Because when you glaze it, you're like, that's another chance of failure. Yeah. You know, even though making it's the harder part for me. But like, I have two or three pots in my studio that I'm like, these are like two feet tall and they're so nice and yeah. somebody would love these. And then I don't glaze them because I'm like, well, what if they mess up? Yeah. Yeah. So I just don't, I don't want the epic fail. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. say those are the two. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's the biggest one that I can think of off the top of my head. Although... Okay, actually more recently. Yeah, yeah. Apparently this is a pattern in my work because I like making really long, thin pieces of things and, and clay doesn't like to be long and thin because no, it, it breaks. It doesn't like yeah. that. This time at least when I was working on a sculpture, I actually was using the right kind of clay. I, I used 
the B-Mix paper clay. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I had the sculpture. By some miracle, it survived the bisque firing. Oh no. And then when my, when my mom and I were picking it up from Alpha Fired Arts, because it wasn't, it, like it, the sculpture was too big to fit in my kiln. Right. On our way home, we put it in the trunk because we thought it would be safer. No! Yeah. No! We literally got a quarter of a mile away from Alpha. We went over a speed bump and we heard a thunk. Oh. And the piece is on, I'm looking at it right now. It is still in pieces. Where, is it behind me? Uh, yeah, it's right up there. Oh no, that's what that is. Yeah, so I'm still gonna finish it. That is a miracle that's wrapped the bisque. Yeah. What, oh. it, what I'll end up doing is, I, I'm like, I'm still gonna finish it. I'm still gonna put it together, but I'm just gonna glaze fire all the individual broken pieces separately mm -hmm. and then epoxy it together after, um, after that, so. But yeah, my epic fails apparently have to do with sculpture and me pushing clay beyond what clay wants to do. So. That's most of my failures, yeah. is like me going, I bet I could do this, and then doing it and being like, mm, shouldn't have did that. Yeah, that's good learning experiences though. Yeah, it's de definitely pushing clay beyond its limits will, will enhance the epic failure rate. <laughs> yeah. Most pretty definitely. Much, pretty much. All right, so we have another question from Robotronic, and uh, they ask, do you regret it? Choosing art over a comfy job. Well, I think you have more experience with this. Well, I think, okay, so there's a couple different things that I want to say about it, and hopefully I'll keep it as concise as possible. Ultimately, I feel like that question in and of itself sort of sets up a little bit of a false dichotomy. The reason that- Oh, Lindsay, tell him! <laughs> oh. Okay, so the reason- I'm here for it! Thanks, man, thanks! What, what do they say on the tweeter? Yas, queen! Yas, queen! <laughs> Okay, so I feel like, like, okay, at least when I think about the situation myself, art has a cultural association with being, you know, with, with poverty, with it being difficult to make a living, with instability, etc, etc, etc. I would argue that overall, there are many different jobs in our economy that are also not particularly stable, not particularly enriching in a lot of ways in terms of like monetary value, like the rise of like the gig economy. You know, how many people have jobs that still give them health insurance? Like, yes, sure. If you have like a state job, that is going to be more stable than a lot of than a lot of other jobs, probably including like a job as an artist. Yes. That being said, art, the job of being a self-employed artist, I would argue that it's not inherently less stable than a lot of other jobs in our economy. Agreed. Like, yeah, yeah. Agreed. So, so I want to establish that as like a baseline of like, you can still be an artist and still sort of, and, and still live a comfy life. Well, right? I, think, I think what you're saying is a smart move to, to establish that as a base because it's not as if working for yourself changes when you're doing art versus being like an Uber driver. You're technically still working for yourself. Yeah. On a certain level, you just have certain people backing you. And depending on how good of an artist you are or how, I guess, social media you are, you still have that. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. like, there's so many different, as you call it, gigs that you're working for yourself. And then people are like, yeah, but you're an artist. Bitch, I'm still working for myself. Yeah, It's yeah. not like you're different. Yeah. You, you know? That being said, there definitely are times where I wish that the work that I did guaranteed a higher level of, of stability. I agree. Yeah. I actually just released a video on Patreon about that. And I was talking about I feel like because of coronavirus specifically, I feel like my effort has not equated to direct 
like product. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you and can that can overwork yourself and get like nothing out of it. Yes, and I think there are there are some jobs where you don't necessarily have to you, like you still have to work hard, but you're working hard in different ways, and you can sometimes you know maybe not work as hard as someone who is self-employed and still have more stability. So that being said. Ultimately, and in, in actually answering this question, and not just prefacing everything, um, so no, I don't. I don't regret it because because of this myth of art as being inherently less stable than a lot of other self-employment jobs. I think there are enough ways that I can create a good living for myself as an independent artist, mm -hmm. and I feel like I am. You know, I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about, and I think is is worthwhile doing. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, to, to piggyback on that, and I'll, I'll kind of work in reverse, I want those of you who are listening right now to understand that art is just as valid and important to our society as some other functional things that you might see as valuable. Every form of entertainment that you ingest into your, your double-digit, triple-digit brain is probably done by an artist, right? Just think about that. Think about all the things that artists attribute your entertainment and your world to. You know, and then think about like how that relates to the economy. You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 super weird, but like companies will hire artists to make items look more friendly. Yeah. Specifically, so you'll buy them more. Yeah. The sim like your favorite TV show, a script is done by an artist. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> your favorite books, writing is a form of mm -hmm. art. It's just that we call them product designers, yes. graphic designers. I mean, it's all it's all still. We judge them up with words. <laughs> It's strange that, like, to think that the, if you're drinking out of a cup right now that's, like, from, let's say, like, a, a mass production place, they still had to come up with a designer, yes. <laughs> an artist, <laughs> to make it look attractive enough for you to buy it. It's not like you bought it purely based on function. Mm -hmm. You're not drinking right now out of, like, a gray block. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's... Or if you are, that was a design choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you are, a designer made that because they yeah. were like, oh, some people who want to be different got this. Yeah. But it's it's not very apparent the amount that artists and art attribute to everything around you, including literally your furniture, the design of your computer, the design of your car, certain mm -hmm. foods. Yeah. Things in general, really, just your everyday life. So people assume that they're not needed because they take them literally for granted. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But realistically, if you had to cut out every... Like, if you were like, oh, we'd live fine without artists. Stop ingesting art then. Like, just stop. Yeah. Stop watching your favorite TV shows, your favorite games. Mm -hmm. Stop reading your favorite books, yeah. favorite podcasts, things of that nature. Yeah. And see how how mundane your life is and how expression and art is a necessity to what we would consider the human conditions and spirit. Yeah. And piggybacking on top of that, even if it's art that is, you know, quote unquote, fine art, capital A art, art that's in the pompey do, you know, art that's, that's considered, you know, pompey do sound like an insult I'm about to call people. <laughs> Yeah, no, it kind of does, isn't it? But like, so even even art that doesn't relate to, you know, product design and right. or you know, all those things that you've just been talking about, even art that is highly conceptual still is important, even if we don't encounter it as much in our day to day life. Yes. Like they're discussing things that are a part of our world and it is another facet of human expression. So it is all important, even if it's also not directly tied to a product like like what you've been talking about. Too. Right. And on, on top of that as well, just to be a little more concise about my answer, if mm -hmm. I am to answer this, is I would say that I find that the difference in between people having a degree or a comfy job is mostly for stability and not so much for expression of oneself or possibly even 
Uh, it's more for security and stability. That being said, I find that having a degree or a stable job is just as valid to self-fulfillment as having a piece of paper saying you are married to another person validating your relationship. In my eyes, a relationship is not less valid because you're not married with that piece of paper. Granted, that piece of paper does give you certain access and certain, certain, uh, what'd you call it earlier? Privileges, benefits? Privileges and benefits, just like a degree does. Like having a degree does give you certain privileges and benefits, but it doesn't make you any less of a intelligent human being. If you don't have one. If you don't have one, you know what I mean? Like, for example, I don't have an art degree. I'm like two classes away from getting my degree. I am, I've met a lot of artists. <laughs> And it's like, I'm not less of an artist because I don't have a degree, nor do I not love my spouse or my significant other any less because I don't have a piece of paper with their name on it. Yeah. I've been in my relationship longer than some people have been married. My relationship is not less valid. And I, I want people to understand that that piece of paper doesn't make or break you. It's really just a supplement in my eyes. Yeah. So I haven't quit my job, but that's because I really like my boss. I've made it very clear to him that like the only reason I'm still here is because of you and your spouse. Hmm. Him and his spouse are amazing and I love them. There's like three or four people at my job that I love um, as people. And that's why I haven't quit my job. But granted, if they weren't there, I would have been like YouTube Patreon boy all day long. Yeah. I would just be making art, hmm. you know? So uh, no, I don't regret it because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> all right, there we go. To answer your question. All right, shall we uh, move on to the next one? Oh, yes. This question comes from Andrew K. Curry on Instagram. But they're all on Instagram, to be honest with you. But best and worst criticisms you have received about your work. I'm going to... Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I, I, will, I will go first. Yeah, you go first because I, I have like... Most of mine are just YouTube comments that are rude and then mask themselves as criticism, but they're just being rude. <laughs> okay. But I would like to hear your genuine ones. Okay, so one of the best criticisms that I've ever gotten about my work is from a professor at Sac City who talked to me about the, uh, the concept of indexicality. Now- Oh, hold on, what? Say it, <laughs> say it like a normal person. It's called indexicality. That's the real name of it? That it's called, yes, that is the real name of it. That's the dictionary of it? That's the dictionary of it, so- Can you make it stupid for me, please? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain it. So I will not be able to probably describe this as well as this professor described it to me, but essentially what indexicality is, is it's, <laughs> Like, let's say, let's say you're looking at a mug. So when you're looking at a mug, you can look at color, shape, texture, surface decoration, all of those things make up indexicality. Okay. The more contrasts that you have between all of those things, the more like complicated an object looks. So an example of that, particularly when I was sitting down with this professor, she was looking at a cup of mine and this cup had a different color on the inside versus the outside. Uh, it had a color on the outside and it had a, a stamp with a raised texture mm -hmm. and also a different glaze. So essentially what she was saying is that you kind of have to narrow down the different contrasts. Yes, yes. Yeah. So in this instance, like that's part of the reason why I stopped having my inside of the cup different than the outside of the cup is because it was kind of just too much going on. And that I think really helped me 
figure out why my pieces were looking kind of chaotic. Yeah. Now, that being said, if you want to lean into that chaos and really add a lot of contrast. Like if you're doing it on purpose. Yes, if you're doing it on purpose, then cool, like lean into that. Yeah. But if you're sort of in that middle ground, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't feel as satisfying. I think I'm with you on that same mentality. Um, it wasn't a credit. I don't think anyone told me that, but it's, for me, this seems more like a profile. Like if you're going to go for a specific profile on your pot, pick a damn profile huh. and stick with it and kind of lean into it. And I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that would too many things bothers my eyes as well. Yosho once told me that a, like a really good pot will usually have three or four techniques mm. in one pot, but it's the master, a master of ceramic artwork will usually blend them into each other. Oh, interesting. And that's the difficulty. He said that's difficult to do because yeah. usually one technique won't blend into another. But if you can make one look like it went into the other, people in like, I guess the capital A art realms will notice it because they have enough experience to know what you're doing. Mm. As for usually like, let's say if you make mugs all day long, like just mugs, 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 mugs. It's like, yeah, you kind of want like one design facet to be happening. It goes with the profile, the story of the pot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know what the dyslexia word was. <laughs> Indexicality. Yeah. Indexicality. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll include the actual definition in the show notes. That'd probably be helpful. Indexahedron. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the other two pieces of good advice that I've got are, is draw what you see, not what you know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And I know that's kind of like a common one, but I feel like it bears reiteration because yeah. it... No, that's super not common. Oh, really? No, no. Oh, yeah. okay. No, so people would, people would, like, no cap, people would just, like, copy, copy what they see and then try and make exactly that and then think, like, I am improving as an artist myself because, and granted, it could be a practice of skill, but there's a lot of people who are just like, I'm doing exactly the same thing you're doing, so I'm good now. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's so much what I'm trying to say. More. That's exactly what she said. That, that is not what I'm trying to say. No. <laughs> More what I'm trying to say is that, like, like, let's say, um, you know, you want to draw a tree, right? If you think about what a tree looks like and then try and draw it, yeah. it will not be as true to form as if you are looking at a tree yes. and, and seeing it. You know, so you stop thinking about, okay, I'm looking at a tree and you start looking at like, what is the direction that these lines are going in? What is the contrast between like the, the branches? How much empty space am I seeing between, which is, you know, the sky, if you're looking at a tree versus like the branches itself. So right. it's more, and it actually kind of leans into the next thing that I was going to say that it talking about the importance of references and being specific. Mm. Uh, this was came from a professor from when I studied abroad in Florence. Um, and he was giving me a critique on a drawing that I did. And the drawing was of just like, kind of like a, a, a creature, but the form that I had drawn of the creature was sort of a generic shape. Like it was vaguely human, but it kind of, it's hard to describe, but it just kind of looked kind of bland to Got some it. degree. Okay. And this professor was saying like, if you're making this creature, what is this creature doing? Is it old? Is it young? Right. You know, what is the bone structure? What is the body structure? How does this thing move around in the world? And knowing that specificity, it helps enhance what you're working on. I see. If that makes sense. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you're, that makes sense. You're picking a lane, you're sticking to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just have to kind of think about it as you're doing it. Mm -hmm. More thought into it, for sure. Yeah. For the worst criticism that I ever got, I can't think of anything specific, but more generally what I've gotten yeah. is people... People just being dicks online, bro. Not even so much that. I've actually more... This is more like from professors oh. that I've gotten from like from certain... Professors just being crusty crab pizza, just being <laughs> old and crusty. Like, that's not the way I would do it. So, I'm... no, go ahead. You, you, you're approaching ageism there, my dude. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's good. That's not fair because most of the rude comments I get are like from younger people online, to be fair. No, yeah. no. The worst criticism that I get, that I have gotten, is the kind of criticism where it's it's more questioning like, oh, like, why are you even making this? Like when I was making dragon mugs, there was a professor who was kind of like, like, oh, you're like, just making like dragon mugs. Like, oh, isn't that fun and poppy? And it's like, well, that's not like, it was kind of like, it's degrading what I was doing because it was viewed as yeah. being too pop culture and not yeah. capital A art enough. I would say that's the least helpful criticism because it's not really addressing the form and the actual piece itself. It is just saying, well, this art is less important because it's from a genre I don't deem valuable. Right, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And to boot, there's definitely a sector of artists out there who, who see themselves on this type of pedestal, you find it a lot with like professors and teachers who seem to think that like, I am more of a traditionalist in the fine art department. I have studied, I have a degree in XYZ, XYZ, and I adamantly disapprove of your pop culture, <laughs> of your anime-esque art. It does not serve the art world. I do not prefer it in the realm in which I see art as fine art. Yeah. And you, you are below me, child. And it's like, ah, that type of mentality doesn't really bolster the art community. It seems like you're putting all art into a type of traditionalist fine art box. And if it's not within that box, it doesn't approve of your standards. But realistically, and I've said this on my channel before, if you are trying to get me to do something that a certain type of art or style or a certain way of making art that you're doing, but both of our styles are coming out fine, you're kind of just an asshole that wants me to do what you want me to do. Yeah. There's so many people on my, and I, I won't get into that too much, but there's so many people on my YouTube who are like, why do you do it this way? Like I do it this way. And then I have to like point out like, well, my artwork is coming out fine. You can check my Instagram, it still looks good. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you just want me to do the stuff your way. But if both of our ways work, and like there's no issue with it, then I think you just want me to do stuff your way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could see if one was just clearly more functional than the other. But most of the time it's not. Most of the time you just have been taught a certain way and you just won't let go of that way. Yeah. Because you think it's tied into your structure, like your value structure somehow. Yeah. And just to, just to like clarify for the sake of, since we were talking about like professors and stuff, all of the best criticism things that I've gotten have been from professors. So I definitely want to make sure that we're not painting all professors as like, you know, as, oh, yeah. as not valuing that because I think they're, they're, there are good teachers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there are many, there are many. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that. No, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's, 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 um, I'm just using teachers as kind of a stand in, I guess, mm. but it's usually a certain type of like, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly. It has nothing to do with teachers. It's like a certain type of like yuppie. Or like a certain type of mm. like person who's like, well, that's not what Galileo would do. So your art is shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what Michelangelo would like. Oh. So you're not a good painter. It's like, well, if I want to paint a picture of Pikachu, let me paint a picture of Pikachu. No, it's not fine art. Yeah. <laughs> Pish posh. <laughs> I shall go and read Downtown Abbey now. Yes. yes. Can you read Downtown Abbey? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. That's how much I know about it. My best criticism has usually come, because I have a larger online presence with uh, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. My best criticisms have been people that have respectfully given me criticisms because that op for that, it opens my eyes mm. and ears to to objectivity. Yeah. Where so, like, so, but like what specifically have they said? Well, one, one of them, which I adamantly, I remember this, like <laughs> one person was like, hey, 
I'm a little bit older and I'm kind of sensitive to sound because I have a hearing aid and oh. to hear everything else I have to turn my hearing aid up but your your intro music to all of your videos is kind of like really loud and the music is really loud and so I was like oh okay well let me like let me and I usually go back and double check to see if what they're saying is true oh, or if it's subjective yeah and yeah. I was like you're right dude you're absolutely right so I, every time I put my intro music in now I lower the volume by like 50 percent oh. and the music and the videos flow a little bit better one person had also told me, look, after your intro, you go to black screen and then you go into your videos, you should have something blend in, have a transfer, or maybe have like a wipe away screen. I got a wipe away screen, I fucking love it now. Huh? I don't know what that is. Um, oh, a wipe away, oh, yeah. yes, yes, okay, I thought you said whiteboard at first. No, 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 no. Like, it's what? a wipe away, it's, it's, it's my, you know, it's my intro, yeah. and then it wipes away into the video. Yes. You probably hear the sound of my video before you see that wipe away, where it's like, hello, you dirty potters, and then it'll wipe away and it'll show me. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoy criticism whenever people are honestly on my team. Mm -hmm. Criticism is at its best, or at least constructive criticism is at its best, when it's trying to be more constructive than it is criticism. Yeah. At least in my book. If you're trying to help someone and you're giving them constructive criticism and you're sticking to the facts, you're like, look, this is what I think about this. This is why I think it. And you're appropriate and you walked in the door with a mindset of trying to help that person. That to me is like, I'm gonna listen to you. I'm absolutely gonna listen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm gonna take it at least into consideration. Uh, the only way I'll ignore it is if, like, it takes a certain amount of effort. Like, it takes a really... I think... Actually, here's another one. Uh, over this weekend, somebody had told me that I should pay for closed captioning on YouTube. Oh. They were like, I'm... Me and my friends are hard of hearing, close to deaf, and we can't watch your videos because there's no closed captioning. You have enough subscribers to pay for it at this point. Huh. To, to my understanding, YouTube does that for you. Yeah. Right? So I was like, you know what? Uh, I'll just go double check. I went to all my videos. There's a button on the top right hand of my videos, especially if you are on, well, actually phone or computer. But if you push the CC button, it automatically closed captions everything for you. Oh. Most people don't know that. Huh. But a lot of other YouTubers put that on default. Oh. So for my video specifically, you literally just have to click the CC button and you're nice. good to go. Okay. But since this person walked in the door respectfully and was like, hey, uh, you don't have closed captioning. I was like, you know what? Instead of just taking you at your word, let me double check that. Yeah. And I did. And I went in and I was like, I actually have closed captioning. You just got to push this button. And she was like, oh, my bad. I Sorry, I didn't even know that was a button. Huh. I guess moving on to the worst ones I've ever had. The worst ones are usually just people who are rude to me but don't have a backing for it. Mm. And then they will try to back into a hole of constructive criticism. I remember one person very specifically... He's the, he's the male version of a Karen, <laughs> who just left a comment on my video saying, you're annoying. And then I was like, okay, thanks, Ken. He goes, no, I'm serious. You're very annoying. I think your channel would stand some improvement by, <coughs> by learning how to talk more formally and being more concise. Yeah, and I was, wow. I was like, you know, I would have taken that. I would have definitely taken that criticism if you had opened up that way. If you had said, hey, the videos could be a little shorter and a little more concise. But instead, you were root, you were a smartass, and then after you were a smartass, you tried to back into a hole of, oh, no, 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 I'm helping you. Oh, God. I'm rude to help you. I'm calling you fat because maybe you didn't know you are fat. You could stand to lose some weight. You'd be prettier if you smiled. Oh, no. God. No. Ah. Yeah, see? Ah. Yeah. No, what happened, Ken, is that you were being a dick, and I caught you being a dick, and now you're trying to backtrack into a shield of, of constructive criticism. But I say this again and again, I will forever say it, 
if you are far more interested in being or in criticizing than you are being constructive, you're an a- you're the asshole. Mm-hmm. Br- being brutally honest is sometimes necessary. If you are far more interested in being brutal than you are being honest, you are an asshole. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the main one that sticks out. Mo- like 90% of my comments and my criticisms are good, people trying to help me. But then there's 10% of people who are like, my favorite Potter isn't you, so fuck you, buddy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but like, you know, you take some, you get some. Some some people who are rude somehow got Xfinity access, so. Nah. Um, I think that's probably the last, yeah, that's the last, const- like, not even constructive, just criticism that I've gotten that I'm like, that didn't help. That's the worst thing. Yay. Well, thanks again to everybody who sent us those questions. We're going to do another more episodes in the future. So if you did not hear your question answered yet, you will, we will get to you. And uh, in the meantime, send us uh, send us more. So I, I built a Twitter for myself. It's not really like for the podcast. But if you follow me at Dante the Potter, you'll see my pots and all that. If you put questions on my Twitter, I will take them and I'll give them to Lindsay. Or if you put them on my Instagram or the Facebook page, mm. like if you put them anywhere where we can see them, We'll probably try and answer them sooner or later, but don't stop sending us questions. Like, keep on commenting, cause yeah, cause like if you stop, if you just unload all in one episode and stop, like we won't have any more. I can't stop, stop, And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Mud Peddlers with Lindsay M. Dillon and Dante of Earth Nation. Want to say hi and see what Dante and I are working on in our studios? Check out the show notes for links to our websites and social media below. You can find me at lindsaymdillon.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-M as in monster, D-I-L-L-O-N.com. And on Etsy, Instagram, and Facebook at Lindsay M. Dillon. And you can find me at Earth Nation Ceramics. It's spelled exactly how you think it's spelled. But you can also find me on my Facebook fan page and Instagram at the same name at Earth Nation Ceramics. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today or you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, take a second to rate and review The Mud Peddlers in Apple Podcasts. It helps our podcast reach new listeners and we really appreciate the feedback. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time.